So I'm Carissa. I'm Kaylin. I'm Joanna. And Joanna is our guest speaker for this week. So she's joining us for our our like mini podcast right now about um, 400 years of slavery and, and kind of the legacy of slavery and just to kind of give some background before we get into the issue. So Kaylin and I both, we don't identify as black. Um, and we felt that because we're talking about a black focused topic during Black History Month, it wouldn't be right for us to talk about the topic without having somebody join us who can kind of speak to that experience of blackness in America and just kind of give their perspective where we can't. And so that's why we have Joanna, our awesome director, joining us. And um, Joanna, do you want to give like a little bit of background about yourself before we get into it? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the director for the Office for Multicultural Learning. Um, and as Prissa mentioned, I do identify as Black. Technically, I'm half Black, half Latina, because my dad is Black from Washington, D.C., and my mom is Latina from Nicaragua. But Within an American context, I'm pretty much black, so <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, so we want to talk today about kind of because this year is the 400-year anniversary of slavery, we want to talk about kind of how it started, um, the impact that it had in the past, and also um, different societal issues that are still um, ongoing because of the structure of slavery and kind of that um, structural oppression that was established 400 years ago. So, um, Kaylin, do you kind of want to start with the legacy of slavery and kind of like how it all began? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 1619 was the year that the first uh, recorded slave ship reached the shores of the United States. They It landed at um, Jamestown, Virginia, mm -hmm. and 1619 is... Uh, broadly identified by, um, specifically by Dr. Dennis Childs, who's a professor of African American literature at UCSD, who's done a lot of work and uh, research into this topic of the legacy of slavery in particular. But he identifies 1619 as the beginning of the carceral state and really the beginning of a racialized um, system of oppression within like a U.S. context. Um, I mean, and then like going a little further back to prior. So the slave trade really beginning. Um, most laborers came from Britain as indentured laborers, signing contracts of indenture to pay with work for their passage, upkeep, training, and it was usually on a farm. Um, however, gotta love capitalism because that was identified as no longer economically or financially feasible um, after African slaves who were kidnapped from Africa were seen as the cheaper, more productive substitution for that. Um, and yeah, so that's really the beginning of this whole legacy that we're going to be talking about, kind of jumping in time then as well. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified, which broadly was supposed to abolish slavery in the U.S. Um, and this is the actual text from the amendment. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary solitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. However, what is often overlooked in this amendment um, that really plays into the legacy of slavery that we'll be talking about is the clause that is known as the exception clause. And it reads, except as a punishment for crime. Mm. I don't know if like, either of you want to. 
Oh, I was just going <laughs> to add. So before we get further into like the future, um, I wanted to add that the Africans that were taken from Africa, they were, according to history.com, it says of those Africans who arrived in the United States, nearly half came from two regions, Senegambia, which is the area comprising the Senegal and Gambia rivers and the land between them, or today's Senegal, Gambia, Guinea, Bissau, and Mali, and also West Central Africa, including what is now Angola, Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Gabon. Um, and apparently they were 3.6%, the slaves that were brought to the United States represented about 3.6% of the total like number of Africans transported to the new world. And so the rest of that percentage went, you know, like into the Caribbean and in South and Central America. And that's why you have a lot of like different um, black or Afro like diasporas in Colombia and like Brazil and other places like that. So yeah, sorry, continue. And I think it's just important to keep in mind this whole accept as a punishment mm -hmm. of a, for a crime mm -hmm. ordeal yeah. um, is not necessarily abolishing slavery. <laughs> yeah. like, there is no, you know... There's no exception. There's, yeah, like, yeah. Slavery, there what? shouldn't be a but. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really interesting when we look at like the legal aspect of it mm -hmm. um, and how that was carried out that... You know, I mean, a lot of these issues are still rooted in power and privilege, and mm -hmm. I feel like that's just folks' way of trying to maintain that power and privilege by having the clause. Because mm -hmm. if they really wanted to abolish slavery mm -hmm. and really do it in a humanistic way, then mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a but. <laughs> I, I think it's hella funny because I don't know who said this. Maybe it was Dr. Phil. I have no idea. Um, but I hope it was. Well, wait, what are you about to say? <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say, I don't know if it's him, but somebody has said, like, whatever you're going to say, if you, like, include a but halfway through your sentence, it completely invalidates sure, yeah. what you were just mm -hmm. saying. And so it's kind of like, oh, look, we're abolishing slavery, but, and yeah. then it's like, well, you might as well just cross out the whole like abolishing slavery thing exactly. too, because people are going to find a way to get around that and they're going to manipulate it to however they want to use it, you know? Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting too, because like, there is no overtly racial language mm -hmm. used within this amendment. It's very broad. It's very... For lack of a better word, like colorblind. Mm -hmm. I hate that term so mm -hmm. much. But I don't like, see color. <laughs> but I mean, like, that really speaks to in post emancipation, like, this is really, you see a lot more of like racialized policing of the existence of African Americans because you see them now, newly freed slaves, kind of in this public sphere that mm -hmm. also have to like deal with, you know, their white counterparts. It's all of a sudden like, Mm -hmm. How do, like, white Americans maintain that power and privilege, like Joanna was saying? Mm -hmm. um, and this exception clause really played into it because of the exception, exception clause. Slavery was technically allowed if you were convicted of a crime. So you see a lot more laws coming through that really targeted mm -hmm. um, African Americans. A big one are, like, the vagrancy laws. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of states, it was illegal to be unemployed. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're operating in, like, very much a society that still uh, is upholding values of white supremacy, mm -hmm. you're not going to see like a white employer employing right. African-Americans. Yeah. And so vagrancy is a huge issue. And of course, it's like not technically like, oh, like targeting a specific population, but it's like still kind of. But they're, again, that colorblind language, I think mm -hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then yeah. it allows to 
pretty much punish anyone under the guise of like non-whiteness, right? Mm -hmm. That even though this is predominantly for and against black people, like pretty much all people of color end up falling in the boat, right? Mm -hmm. That like no matter your race or your ethnicity, if you are not white, then you're probably going to be affected by this <laughs> because it's like all minorities who are dealing with this, Yeah, um, which we see today. I mean, obviously we're here talking about blackness and like mm-hmm. black folks, but I mean, there are other races and ethnicities and cultures that are still continuing to deal with like modern day slavery mm-hmm. and just, you know, the, the society in terms of policing and mm-hmm. things like that, that aren't black, but like within this language, mm. like it doesn't say this is against black people. Yeah. It's really kind of like against everyone who isn't white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Retweet. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like nuts too because if you're thinking about it, post-emancipation is, you know, after the end of the Civil War, the South is really like ravaged. Um, you know, infrastructure is like really broken down. Mm-hmm. It's like really recovering from war. And so they needed people to help rebuild it essentially from mm-hmm. the ground up. And essentially because of this exception clause and then we're going to talk later about the convict leasing system Mm -hmm. you could get like convicts to essentially perform the slave labors and rebuild the south Mm -hmm. that i mean like had been ravaged by this war about like supposedly about like slavery and Mm -hmm. things like that so i think it's just very interesting to see that like it was built upon like slave slavery Mm -hmm. and like the backs of like african slaves a beginning but in a very overt way but it's still now being rebuilt again mm-hmm. on the backs of slaves but like in a more covert like yeah. this isn't really the same thing right. supposedly in air quotes mm-hmm. like, well and built upon like bringing people to a new place like and i'm sure nobody asked mm-hmm. yeah. like they were like hey i just want to hop on that boat can you like abduct us <laughs> like tear me away from my entire me please like they're what? Like let's take it back to that moment mm-hmm. when they're the initial like white folks, black folks, mm-hmm. and the white folks are like, hmm, how can I capitalize on this labor, on this mm-hmm. free labor? Dude, do you know like how messed up you have to be to like see new people living their lives on their land, and like your mind automatically goes to like, let me abduct these people <laughs> and like, use like, them no. as slaves. Mm-hmm. Oh You're God. living your best yeah. life. Please stop. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and I think also there's a social myth where it's like, oh, you know, slavery sucked and everything, but like when slavery ended and it was abolished, it was all over. It's like, no, right. yeah. for centuries after black folks were like basically kind of working for the same like slave master that mm-hmm. had owned them, except they were working as like sharecroppers and the whole myth of like 40 acres and a mule where mm-hmm. in reality, like it was so hard for them to establish lives and livelihoods and families and kind of like financial freedom when they hadn't known anything but that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why now a lot of the statistics for African-Americans like throughout America, if you look at them, um, they're kind of like not in the best social, financial, or economic position. And that has a lot to do with the fact that like white people have had 400 years to establish themselves Mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. um, And black people have had maybe a hundred years, like in the best scenario, you know? Well, and I mean, it's, there's cycles of oppression, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's history, 
it's yeah. different generations that are dealing with the same things mm-hmm. and it may not necessarily be in the same ways mm-hmm. but like me and my parents and my grandparents and great-grandparents like we're all dealing with the same type of historical oppression yeah. mm-hmm. you know years after all of this stuff has happened mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah yeah no and it's nuts too when you think about it like going back to like when slavery was still like okay like legally um you had like a lot of laws throughout different states or jurisdictions where you couldn't teach slaves to read or write Mm -hmm. um and like with that inability to read and write and like educate yourself then you like essentially lose all those generations that had no access to education or no access in terms of like being able to record any history because you see like a very violent tearing away of history of like from like black bodies with like separation of families they're like forced to convert to Christianity and loss of culture Mm -hmm. yeah because they can't write it down so they can only really like transfer it through word of mouth and with like families being separated so sporadically it's not like you can really prepare for that you know right well and it goes back to power though like Mm -hmm. if I'm educated Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the questions like Mm -hmm. why is this happening yeah how Mm -hmm. is this you know not being stopped but if I'm uneducated then it won't, I won't really critically analyze it that way. Mm-hmm. And so it was purposely done in a way to like keep them in a place that they won't mm-hmm. stop and be like, mm-hmm. time out, like this doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. Like let's not, mm-hmm. you know, give them access to, you know, just what's going on in the world and have mm-hmm. them be literate because then they gain so much power and mm-hmm. so much self power that they'll be like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. like, white folks are crazy like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, this doesn't seem right let me like create Mm -hmm. my own business Mm -hmm. and you know try to create a new law like there nobody wants to lose that sense of power Mm -hmm. and privilege Mm -hmm. so it's like everything is done strategically yeah and like even going forward to like the common policing system like you see this as a very state-sponsored form of slavery they were literally Mm -hmm taking the convicts they had and leasing them out mm. and like selling them essentially to like private entities. Like you have records of like ads that are posted like very much post emancipation um, in like places like Baltimore and like in the North that is like seen as like, Oh, we're like, it was free mm-hmm. in air quotes um, of like sheriff department saying like, Hey, on this day at noon outside of the courthouse, we're going to be selling this man for, like this amount of money or like and for this this length of time mm-hmm. because he like stole a pig or something were they doing this to white people too or no it's just like predominantly black people who are in the convict leasing system i think it was pretty it was very much predominantly black yeah it was so like 99 percent. that's what we're talking about they were the ones who were most mm-hmm. likely convicts so. exactly yeah yeah you had i feel like sometimes you had to like that token yeah <laughs> yeah like it was very much you could see, like, just, like, optics-wise, like, it was very much targeted at, like, gotcha. black people. Like, it's nuts. And then with that, like, you had, like, chain gangs as well. Um, and these are really interesting because chain gangs specifically will come up a lot in, like, literature afterwards in terms of, like, African-American literature, too, um, where it's referenced a lot. But they were also part of the system in a way. And, but they were named for the fact that you would often see, like, these men literally chained together working on the side of a road. Wait, was this when Kendrick Lamar, when he was it last year when he performed at the Grammys? He performed at the Grammys, and I know, like, the way that he opened up, like, his performance was mm-hmm. there were, like, a bunch of black men basically, like, chained together, kind of, 
like walking in a line. It was yeah, I think it was. And it was very like, yeah, changing. it was yeah. very because rem- they were wearing like prison like outfits, mm-hmm. and that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, it's still very symbolic, right? Because sure. just that association. Mm-hmm. Well, and the association of like black bodies as property mm-hmm. is. I mean, we still see that today. And obviously with the chain gangs, I mean, it was a matter of, I mean, we already view individuals who've committed crimes to be kind of less than anyway. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, to be black and to be considered a convict, Mm -hmm. it just further amplified this idea that like, they don't like, they don't have a place, right? That we Mm -hmm. can kind of freely buy and sell them, that we can use them to Mm -hmm. our advantage. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, there's, there's mm-hmm. just so much at play. Yeah. Yeah. I think chain gangs really, I think it was really, they were prevalent up until I think like the 1940s or so. And then like, then like, there was like a very like, um, direct law that said something about like, you can't, like comic policing is now illegal in mm-hmm. addition to like slavery. Gotcha. Um, of course, there's still like ways to get around it, mm-hmm. which is like what I'm really, I'm really hoping we can talk a lot about in terms of like the contemporary because yeah. it's definitely not gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see like the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. Like the economics of like the prison system today, like mm-hmm. the privatization of like prisons and like how much bank those like companies will make off of building prisons. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, yeah. And like prison slave labor today. Um, and I know Joanna, your background is in criminology, so like, feel free to. Yo, she has a PhD, time. y'all. She's, <laughs> she's literally Doctor Joanna Thompson, and don't forget that. <laughs> but it was—it's also nuts because I was lucky enough to see Doctor Dennis Childs mm-hmm. at a talk earlier this year at Santa Clara, and he spoke about his book that I'll shout out later. Um, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> but he talked a lot about his experience going to the Louisiana State Penitentiary, mm. which is kind of more known as Angola, which is also interesting when you shouted out that like um, there were a lot of African slaves who came out from that region to mm-hmm. sleep. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. made that connection. Yeah. 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 But okay. it's named for like Angola, which was the a former the name of the former slave plantation that was on the same ground. So they cha- literally turned a slave plantation into a state penitentiary. Yeah. They like, were not even trying with that one. <laughs> not at all. No. Like, it's the size of Manhattan. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there before. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's really is it, it's still Is it still operating today? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Still, it's still a bar. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's literally just open land. Well, every day, I think, we could not have strayed farther from the Lord's light. <laughs> We do. <laughs> we need Jesus. Honestly. <laughs> no, yeah, and, like, the prisoners will be used for, like, the labor and the farming and, like, manufacturing. They have manufacturing plants on there, too. So you can just yeah. tour while there's people in prison? Yes. Wait, that is... Oh, God, that is wrong. It's really yeah. wrong. And that's... On, I, I hate to say this, but that's how I ended up going to Angola because mm. I went on a prison tour through the American Correctional Association, which is like a professional association yeah. for folks who are interested in corrections. And you're, you're, you have a background in criminology, like Kaylin yeah. said. So. Well, and I mean, it was a matter of like educating. Mm-hmm. So like a group of us went when I was in my master's. But yeah, just to see the actual ins and outs of everything happening. And I mean, it's pretty much like a circus, right? Like mm-hmm. you go to see these individuals who are locked up, some of them for the rest of their lives. Um, That's so it's sad. Yeah, it's really, it's very uncomfortable. Like I've never felt so 
icky in my entire life like it's really not a pleasant feeling and there's like a gift shop at the front oh god no I was literally hoping you would say like there's no gift because like now they're they're just proud of it it's yeah yeah, it's really disturbing but like Kaylin was saying this idea of like privatizing prisons and it's a business right like it's marketing Mm -hmm. and it's this idea that like outsiders are coming in and it, it's supposed to give this false sense of safety, like, ooh, the bad people are locked mm. up and, like, they're kept over mm. there and I'm here and I'm now safe because mm. all of the bad people are, like, yeah. locked away. But really it's just, again, like, it's mostly black and brown folks who are just being used for their for their labor and just property of the state, mm-hmm. of, of this country, and just not – there's no humanism. There's no – seeing these people as people it's Mm. really just kind of they're just yeah they're just property yeah yeah and I think it like it's so like nuts when I was doing research on Angola specifically like Mm. they're literally like historically when it was like first like kind of introduced as like a prison Mm -hmm. um prisoners were used by like guards like my kind of like make side chain Mm -hmm. like side money so they would take groups of prisoners mostly black men out of like the prison and take them out into like the little like community outside of it mm-hmm. to perform oh like literally right here like yeah. it was not and the, the guards would make money off of it like they would make side oh money like they this was like not part of like their job but they would like take them out and like literally put them out there as entertainment which is but and it's still being done today but you're like leaving them in their cages right um i think like, part of the reason i'm sorry go ahead yeah. continue no 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 and it's like it doesn't stop there either because they have a rodeo. Oh which God. is even more disturbing. It's, and people always like, oh, gladiator, like, in like, yes. Asian Rome is like so like, disturbing. I'm like, what about today? Like, yeah. it's happening in our country. And it's so sad because before the rodeo, there's like a fair where mm. the prisoners, because they don't get, so they have to buy things, ironically, in prison in order to just maintain their livelihood, right? Oh like God. soap and toothbrushes and things like that, like toiletry types things. But if they're not being sent money from like friends or family, then they can't purchase those things. Mm-hmm. And so they have a fair before the rodeo where things that they've like made, like arts and crafts things, or like so a lot sad. of them like paint and do like sculptures, <gasps> they'll sell them. And so there was one guy, I bought this like wooden bowl that he like literally like whittled for months. And it was like five bucks, but it was mm-hmm. so it, like, I don't want to buy into the system, but then it's like, you have nothing. But they like, make the system but then it's so like, that the people who yeah. don't like play into the system will like be harmed and you right. don't want to see that. Exactly. You know? Like I don't want this person. I mean, no matter, I mean, I don't know what he was in prison for. I don't yeah. know what he did, but again, there's that humanistic thing, right? Mm-hmm. That like, I'm pretty sure you're not being treated well at all. Mm-hmm. And the least I can do is give you $5. So yeah. at least you can buy like yeah. toothpaste, you know, like, it, but it's really mm-hmm. disturbing to be like, they're just put on display. Mm-hmm. And then at the rodeo, like some like bull riding, like no equipment. It's just their bodies on these bulls. They're getting thrown off. Like, Again, it's like that's very disturbing. It's like it's just property, and you see all of these people like hooting and hollering, and like it's just so. Uh, it just makes you feel mm-hmm. really. And again, when we think about the dynamics of the race, like black and brown folks on these bulls, and then who's mm-hmm. in the stands? Like it's mostly white folks, and they're like getting a kick out of it and like yelling things, and it's just, ugh, it's just so, it's so yeah. sad. 
I think part of the reason that like this just getting into like the more contemporary like effects of slavery is like so shocking to me is because you know like I I would consider myself to be pretty well versed on a lot of different like social issues but prison and like the prison system and like incarceration has always been some like an area where I haven't really like explored as much just because I always thought that there were like more immediate concerns that Mm -hmm. I had like from my perspective um and so like hearing all of this stuff a lot of it for like the first time is just so crazy to Mm -hmm. me because like there's no way these people who are putting these rodeos and like minstrel shows on don't see the parallels Mm -hmm. like it's very very blatant to me and the fact that they like know about it Mm -hmm. and they're working to make a profit off of it is Mm -hmm. just so sick to me. Well, and that's why the prison industrial complex is so strong Mm -hmm. because it's just, I mean, if we look at the historical context, it's just gotten worse and it Mm -hmm. continues to get worse. So we fun, fun criminology fact. Mm -hmm. So the United States only has 5% of the world's population, which sounds really small, Mm -hmm. but we actually incarcerate 25%. That makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. We like, it, when you yep. look at the numbers, yep, yep. and even when you look at why people are in prison, usually for nonviolent drug offenses, mm-hmm. like it just, and we're giving people life in prison because they mm-hmm. sold crack. Mm-hmm. Like how does, like, even the sentencing yeah. and the, the sentences that were our legal system and our criminal justice system is handing for certain crimes, because mm-hmm. there are some people who like will murder somebody, but if you mm-hmm. have a good lawyer and you yeah, have enough yeah. money... Like yeah. you're out on the street. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it just it it's it's so unequal mm-hmm. and it's so un, like overrepresented in some mm-hmm. ways and underrepresented in some mm-hmm. ways. It's mm-hmm. it's just insane. That's why so many folks who do this type of reform work mm-hmm. are like most of it really is targeted at like incarceration and the yeah. correctional system because it's mm-hmm. so broken. Yeah. And what I yeah. do know about it is from I mean, like, there's a lot of activists who are, like, are, spe- are specifically working with this system to kind of, like, bring people out for offenses that they might have committed that, like, did not deserve the kind of sentence that they got. Like, I, I don't want to say, like, Kim Kardashian is, like, the forefront of this because <laughs> she's absolutely not. Hey, Kim. I know, literally. You should listen to our podcast. <laughs> and, and she's problematic for a number of reasons, but something that I know that she's been doing that I can kind of, like, get behind is the fact that she was like fighting so hard to get people like I think her name was Alice Walker Mm -hmm. and Santoya Brown and like as far as I know both those women are out and they're kind of living their lives now which I think is like that's the kind of exposure that I've been getting to this issue on social Mm -hmm. media and Mm -hmm. just different things but I also think that when we put somebody who's as famous as Kim Kardashian at the forefront of something that is so much deeper than that when in reality she doesn't identify as a black woman um, and she herself hasn't maybe been directly affected by this issue um, we need to like learn to look deeper and look at the actual black people who've been affected Mm -hmm. by this because their numbers are like disproportionately affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know Joanna, you were talking about the the prison industrial complex, right? Can you kind of give like a definition for what that is, maybe for people who are unfamiliar with that term? Sure. Um. So pretty much, I mean, when we think again back to like the history of prisons in America and just kind of prisons in general, what we've seen be created, at least within the United States, is this idea of 
focusing on harsh sentences in order to increase the amount of folks who are incarcerated or, and this is both in jails and prisons. Mm -hmm. Um, Jails are usually more like short-term, prisons are usually more Mm -hmm. long-term. But the idea that there's like a system that's created that directly funnels certain populations. So when we look at black and brown children, for example, Mm -hmm. in elementary school, they're usually much more um, they're treated much more harshly by like teachers and punished mm. much more harsh, harshly compared to their white counterparts. Yeah. Um, and so they are automatically kind of placed in this umbrella of they're the bad kids. They need to be punished. Mm-hmm. And usually, I mean, when kids are young, they think that, right? That like, yeah, maybe I am yeah. a bad kid and maybe I don't deserve to be a good kid. And so usually these kids are the ones who end up dropping out of school mm-hmm. or engaging in like gang violence, gun violence, um, and just kind of falling off the wayside. Mm-hmm. And then they're the ones who are eventually um, policed a lot more. Mm-hmm. In gen- and I mean, in general, black and brown bodies are policed a lot more. Yeah. Um, and then end up going into prison. And then it's just a cycle. So Michelle Alexander, if you've mm-hmm. never heard of her, I suggest queen. you <laughs> totally check out her stuff. But she talks about this idea that, you know, the new Jim Crow laws, for example, mm-hmm. and this idea that, you know, once you go into prison and then you kind of go through the system and then you come right back out. And then as a convicted felon, it's not like you have many opportunities and it's not like you can just kind of go back to being the person that you were, especially if you live in a neighborhood where there's not a lot of opportunities or economic growth. And then you end up just going back Mm -hmm. right back to prison. And then as Kaylin mentioned, the whole privatization of prisons Mm -hmm. where it used to be, you know, every state has its own correctional system. So like, for example, the state of California, like has its own department of corrections that operates within state policies and state funding. Um, And obviously there's like a national and federal, national and federal prisons that operate as well. But now a lot more of those state uh, prisons are being bought out by like private companies And these are literally just like business people who are funding these prisons and just doing things to make a profit. So, of course, they need the prisons to stay (laughs) intact because they have to make money. Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of let's treat these prisoners with respect. It's a matter of, well, let's just give them the bare minimum Mm -hmm. so that we can continue to make a profit. And if anything, let's get more prisoners in because we need more, you know, money. It's like Mm -hmm. if you have a hotel, you're not just going to like book rooms for a month and be like, yay, like that's it. (laughs) No, you're going to want to be booking rooms all the time. Yeah. So this whole like prison industrial complex is just this idea of of privatizing and making the incarceration system mm-hmm. and correction system a business and yeah. the idea that it's funneled through all of these different institutions, right? That like the educational system is funneling folks into prisons, whether mm-hmm. we like it or not. The, the healthcare system is funneling folks into this system, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there are all of these because we as black and brown people have a lack of access to things and a lack of resources. Mm-hmm. We're like so many, I think there's actually a statistic that we've all been either affected by or gone through the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no way around it. way around it that we like. And I mean, and it's difficult because when you think about the reason why a lot of folks end up going into prison, mm-hmm. I mean, again, a lot of them are for nonviolent offenses, mm-hmm. right? Like we live in a world where if, a mother is going to steal a loaf of bread for her children because she doesn't have a job, because she doesn't have access to food. 
they're going to throw her in jail. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah. Like, but that's mm-hmm. the complex, right? Like, that's the prison industrial complex that mm-hmm. we're going to create these systems of, you know, really engaging folks in a way that we're going to be harsh, we're going to punish them harshly, mm-hmm. and not really think about the well, why, you know, like, why are they, you know, why does this woman have to steal a loaf of bread? How do we change that? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. And I think society already, as it is, is not structured to benefit black and brown people. So now imagine being... It never has been. Exactly. So now imagine <laughs> being, like, a person with, like, a prior, you know, criminal record. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have that on top of you also. The mm-hmm. odds are just, like, doubly stacked against yeah. you. Yeah. There's actually a really good documentary on Netflix. And I think it might be on Amazon, Wait, is too. it called The 13th? No. That's also good, uh-huh. but it's actually a little bit older. It's called The House I Live In, uh-huh. and it's all about, yeah, it's all about, it's actually about the war on drugs, but they end up talking about its connection to, like, mass incarceration, and it's it's an amazing documentary. Like, if you've never seen it, I totally suggest it. Mm-hmm. I used it when I used to teach back in Chicago. It's really eye-opening because, again, like, it talks about these, like, it talks about the idea of mass incarceration in the prison industrial complex as a public health issue Mm -hmm. that it's not Mm -hmm. just about you know racism and all of these like historical aspects but it really is kind of a detriment to all of us right that like we're all affected by these things um Mm -hmm. no matter how we identify and again it's not just black folks Mm -hmm. but it's brown folks it's other minorities um who have historically been oppressed and the way that we see it playing out now is just kind of the consequences mm-hmm. of like poor policies mm-hmm. and people in power who shouldn't have certain power. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's also interesting too, because you were talking a lot about how, uh, first I was talking a lot about how like you don't really get to hear about stuff like this happening a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like Dr. Childs really spoke to that. He said that people in prison will like, refer to like people outside of prison as like the people in the free world mm-hmm. and like just thinking about that language and going back to like this idea of a legacy of slavery that's being continued with our prison like system it's right a huge like thing like there is there are systems that like prevent like prisoners to contact like other people in like the quote-unquote free world mm-hmm. like that's why like not very many people heard but last year there was a huge prison prison hunger strike mm-hmm. that like prisoners were organizing because they were fighting back against like the idea of, like, prison slave labor. They were forced by, like, big corporations, like, like corporations like Walmart. Yeah. Or, like, um, you know. Amazon. Like, <laughs> Amazon. And, like, all these places that are, like, using slave labor yeah. through yeah. the prison system. And, again, just marketing it as this idea that it's a business that needs to be funded. So I think it was maybe three or four years ago. So when you, so now in certain private prisons, you have to like pay to call the person mm-hmm. or the inmate that you're, that you want to talk to, mm-hmm. but it's like a whole, you would have to pay. So you know how we have to pay for like our phone lines. Yeah. You would have to pay for an actual like phone subscription to contact that mm-hmm. inmate. So there was one woman, she had shared her story, how like her phone bill one year was like easily like six digits like 10 20 grand because every phone bill was like at least four to five hundred dollars because the companies are taking advantage of like Mm -hmm. well these people one they're in prison Mm -hmm. so they don't it's not like we're gonna like they don't deserve the luxuries of like the rest of us quote in the Mm -hmm. quote-unquote free world Mm -hmm. and second of all we're gonna take advantage of people who want to like 
call their loved ones and talk mm. to these people and charge them out the window because they can. Because, they can. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, how else are you... Not everybody can go visit folks in prison. Mm-hmm. Not everybody... Like, you may not live in the same place as that person mm-hmm. or you may not have the accessibility. So if you... If the only thing you can do is just do, like, a one-hour phone call every week, mm-hmm. then, of course, you're going to want to... You're going to pay $400, mm-hmm. $500 for that one phone call. Yeah. But then if you look after, like I said, like after a year, like it's, it's so, and of course, like, and these are companies like AT&T that are like making bank off of this and it's just not right. And their mentality is probably like, well, if you didn't want to pay 500 bucks to call somebody in prison, then like maybe you shouldn't have been involved or like had a criminal in your life when it's like, and it's like victim blaming. Yeah. Yeah. The structure is just broken and there's companies who are exploiting the structure, Mm -hmm. knowing that they can get away with it and the people that they are oppressing or kind of like manipulating don't have the resources either socially economically whatever mm-hmm. to like fight back against it mm-hmm. yeah yeah <sighs> okay that's sad <laughs> <laughs> all right um, i mean but i think like looking forward like there's also so much more we can talk about when we'd be here for hours <laughs> like do you mean like just not even like considering the fact that like certain states will like ship like prisoners out like i know like in hawaii at least like the, the native Hawaiian population is, like, a very small minority, but they're, like, comprised most of, like, Hawaii's, like, prison population. Mm. And, like, you have stories of, like, Hawaiian prisoners, native Hawaiian prisoners being literally shipped to, like, places like Arizona because they just don't have room in their prisons. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, oh, shipped, like and they're still incarcerating mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny to me that that is an option, right? I know. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're running out of places to put these folks. Yeah. Maybe we should, like, reevaluate why, <laughs> why we put them in prison. But no, we're just going <laughs> to move them to another place. Mm-hmm. And even just the way that the correctional system is operated. So you have, like, mm-hmm. these, you know, like... Uh, some facilities don't have a lot of security and then there are mm-hmm. facilities like a supermax where you put like mm-hmm. the really bad criminals right yeah. like because they need even more security like just the way like who ca- like who comes <laughs> up with this like who mm-hmm. again for me as a social scientist it yeah. bothers me because we're not addressing the problem mm-hmm. like just throwing somebody in a room and locking them up and throwing away the key mm-hmm. doesn't to me it doesn't make me feel safe mm-hmm. like it provides me a false sense of safety because the problem is still there mm-hmm. like if there's it, it, somebody else is gonna engage in crime like and it, it's just it's so frustrating it's not that sustainable we, yeah. yeah and for some reason people uh, well I mean clearly it is if it's been like years sustainable for who though right like yeah. it's it's so frustrating that it's like what mm-hmm. like and that's why again like people who are doing this type of like prison abolition work and prison reform are so like some people think it's so radical mm-hmm. but it's really not like it's just humanistic and yeah. common sense because you know, the whole system is just ridiculous. Yeah, and let's not forget that, like, something being legal or illegal doesn't have any, like, impact on how moral or ethical it really is or mm-hmm. isn't because, right. like, freaking slavery was legal, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, morally, everybody mm-hmm. can look back and say that that was not <laughs> appropriate and mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't have been legal, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so... Like, we also need to kind of question what our definition of legal and illegal are and, like, why Mm -hmm. are we so quick to, like, stand by what our government has said is illegal when we know that, like, they're not the end-all, be-all voice Mm -hmm. on morality. Well, and that, I mean, again, it always goes back to power and privilege. Like, who 
who created this system and who's who, right? Like yeah. who are the people who are writing these, you know, laws and passing legislation. That's why it's so great mm-hmm. to see our government slowly becoming more diverse, but as long as we still have the same type of people with the mm-hmm. same type of mentality creating these pieces of legislation yeah. and, and folks who are buying into the system, there's mm-hmm. no way that it's going to change mm-hmm. because it's just literally history repeating itself mm-hmm. every decade. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it, this whole thing is like nuts. So it's trash. Like, throw it all out. Yeah. <laughs> Go back 400 <laughs> years and throw it all out. Yeah, can we just press yeah. rewind? No, and like the thing is, let though, the black people be with the black people. Let like the natives yes. just do their thing yes. and don't come to America. White yeah. folks, y'all can just stay in England. Yeah, no dis to white folks though. Like I love white people. I have white people in my family. I say that in like a loving way. Not but, and not every white person is like a bad person. I think it's important to establish. Yeah, that but too. it's like the men who are like whenever a girl says like all men are trash, they want to, like, act up and be like, not all men, and I'm like, listen. Well, I mean, it's important to not generalize, because, I mean, but it feels within this, <laughs> well, within this type of work, though, I mean, we really do paint it as, like, black versus white, mm. but at the same time, we do need allies. There's though. a million sh- shades of brown in between. <laughs> right, yeah. like, there's, I mean, th- we need folks on both sides to speak up for and against certain things that, like, I, because I don't have all of the privilege in the world, but if there is a, a white person or a person with non-minority status who's able to speak on my behalf, mm. go ahead because yeah. I wouldn't be able to. So I feel like, yeah, like I say that, but like I love y'all. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we need y'all too. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. I feel the same. Where it's like it makes sense for people of color and just other marginalized groups to kind of like point the finger at white people because mm-hmm. historically they have been responsible for mm-hmm. like literally 99% of the structures that are oppressing different marginalized groups today. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it's okay to say that out of frustration and kind of like knowing the history of the past, but also recognizing that like a lot of the advancements that we've made now wouldn't have been possible without really strong allies. And so like, it's a, it's kind of like a yeah. double edged sword For where sure, it's like yeah. bittersweet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But shout out to the allies. Yeah. <laughs> the good ones. <laughs> yeah. The actual yeah, allies. The actual <laughs> and I was going to say. Not like you just change your picture on Facebook mm-hmm. or something. Or you don't do it for the grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. But I was going to say, so like a lot of it has to also do with like strength and numbers. Like, you know, we have a million different examples of celebrities who are exemplifying black excellence, like. Beyonce or like Kaepernick or whatever. I knew you right? were gonna say Beyonce first. I have to say her first. <laughs> Shout out to my mom. I love you. But like, there's only like, I don't know, like one Beyonce, right? When you have like a million white CEOs, right, who are like pulling the strings kind of behind the scenes, and we can have all of these like incredible black people to look up to and kind of like help bring attention to these different movements. But like at the end of the day this is how far we've come even with people who are who are like Asada Shakur and like Angela Davis and like because for every one of them 
there's a million white people behind the scenes who are working mm-hmm. to just strengthen these structures mm-hmm. that are oppressing people. But you know? then there's also a million other people of color, black men, black women, mm-hmm. who are also behind the scenes. We yeah. just don't see it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's important to keep in mind, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that there are three women of color in this room right now, mm-hmm. even though you can't see us out there in podcast world. <laughs> Imagine but, I mean, us. That, <laughs> but that's important, right? That, yeah. like, we are having these conversations. We're doing this type of work. Mm-hmm. And that... But it Again, who controls who gets to see that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like you're going to see these narratives in, you know, on the news. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to see black folks getting shot or black mm-hmm. folks, yeah. you know, engaging in crime. You're not mm-hmm. going to see the PhDs. You're not mm-hmm. going to see the women who are taking care of their children or the men, the black yeah. men taking care of their children. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it all goes back to this question of, like, who? Like, who is creating this narrative? Mm-hmm. And, like, how can we as black and brown people, like – take a stance to reclaim mm-hmm. our like position and yeah. like push back against all of these things. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, like for me personally, because this is kind of like a tangent, but I've noticed like every time Martin Luther King Jr. Day rolls around or it's like Malcolm X's birthday or something, there's always that dialogue of like, well, I like Malcolm. Uh, I mean, I like Martin Luther King Jr. over Malcolm X because Malcolm X was more like radical and he was more um, like he was leaning more towards like if we can't appeal to the to the people who are oppressing us and we can't appeal to their conscience, like they like you can't reason with somebody who doesn't have a conscience who doesn't see you as human. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people have kind of like in their minds kind of put like uh, MLK over Malcolm X just because of like how um, radical they see Malcolm X as being. And I feel like a lot of times if you aren't like the picture of blackness that they want you to be, they will find a way to pit people against you. Because I know people who don't even, they don't know anything about Malcolm X besides Mm -hmm. the fact that he was also assassinated. Mm -hmm. Um, They can talk about how, you know, like they like MLK so much more. But then if you ask them, like, why do you actually, Mm -hmm. you know, prefer MLK over Malcolm X? Mm -hmm. They don't really have an answer as to why. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, like, both of them were trying to achieve the same goal. Mm -hmm. And both of them were assassinated. Mm -hmm. So... Either of them were a threat, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know. I just think it's interesting how we don't put Malcolm X on the same pedestal as MLK Mm -hmm. simply for the fact that he was, like, more – I don't even want to say, like, more willing to engage in violence, Mm -hmm. but kind of, like – by all means necessary, mm-hmm. we need to achieve our freedom. And if we can't do it through just talking to you guys, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Like we'll riot, we'll get into violence because this is this is only happening because of the centuries of violence you've inflicted on us. Right. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. like a whole nother podcast. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah. But I think like in terms of like moving forward, I like came up with this list of like resources or like things to check out if you're interested mm-hmm. um, in this idea of like a legacy of slavery that continues on into today. So first, um, Slavery by Another Name is a documentary um, that chronicles the continuation of slavery after the end of the Civil War. So it really goes in depth and focuses a lot on the convict leasing system, mm-hmm. um, chain gang, um, and things like that. Um, it ends like around like the 40s. Um, and like right before like the real big rise of the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. you can actually find it on Canopy. So it's free to stream if you have your SU login. So definitely do that. It's worth your time. Mm-hmm. Buy, like 
It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, a lot um, of SDU kids don't even know Canopy exists. I know. It's so great. <laughs> now it's you know. I know, literally. <laughs> um, and then we also kind of mentioned it before, but 13th is a documentary that's on Netflix. It's directed by Ava DuVernay. Oh, my God. An angel. Yes. Amazing. Um, and it examines specifically the 13th Amendment and its exception clause and how it has allowed for the mass incarceration of African-Americans and the prison industrial system. Um, another one, this is more of a literature sort of thing, and also, like, shout out to Dr. Griffin, who put us on her reading list. Um, actually, all of these things are from Dr. Griffin. <laughs> um, so, but Joe Turner's Coming Gone is a play by August Wilson that is set in 1911, and it really highlights the lasting trauma of, um, the chain gang on one of its main characters, Harold Loomis, so definitely check that out, because it definitely is interesting in looking at that. Um, also, we've talked, we've shouted his name out multiple times already, mm -hmm. but Dr. Dennis Childs has a book um, called Slaves of the State, Black Incarceration from the Chain Gang to the Penitentiary. So again, continuing this idea of a legacy, a genealogy of slavery that continues on into the present. Mm -hmm. um, and it really does talk a lot about state-sponsored slavery um, that has existed from the end mm -hmm. of the Civil War into now. Also wanted to shout out a book by Monique W. Morris called Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools. Mm. Um, so kind of what yes, it's uh, so good. Joanna was talking about mm -hmm. earlier with like the school to prison pipeline, which in of itself is another like podcast episode yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so definitely check that out. And then also check out Soledad Brother, The Prison Letters of George Jackson. Um, so George Jackson was actually at Angola, mm. right? Oh, yeah, wow. I think yes. so, yeah. Um, is that who Shawshank Redemption is? based on because that sounds really familiar Ooh, i don't know i can't remember we'll okay. find out don't take our word on that one. <laughs> yeah um but it, it's his prison letter so it's like written from it's written by like a prisoner who was mm -hmm. like in this system um i'm just checking it first oh so this these were his letters written mm -hmm. during like his time at soledad prison gotcha um so not angola just making mm -hmm. it gotcha. quick uh, but still <laughs> within yeah. the prison system yes yeah um and yeah so definitely check all of those out um, especially, definitely, definitely, definitely check out Soledad Brother because you're mm -hmm. going to actually read the words of a person who was incarcerated yeah. in part of the system. For sure. Yeah. And definitely check out The House I Live In. Like I said, it should be mm -hmm. on Netflix or Amazon. Mm -hmm. And in general, like if this is your jam or if you are listening to this and mm -hmm. you feel some type of way and want to do something about it, get involved with like local politics, with state politics, federal mm -hmm. politics. Um, even if you just kind of donate your time to actually just engage with people who are incarcerated or formally incarcerated mm -hmm. just to learn more about their experiences. There's so many different like community organizations and groups. Um, here at Santa Clara, we have the Innocence Project, which mm -hmm. Kaylin had mentioned earlier in terms of, you know, trying to um, free folks or I think Percy, you had mentioned like uh, folks who have been wrongfully convicted yeah. of mm -hmm. crimes. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that they're always looking for folks who are, you know, willing to volunteer their time. Um, and yeah, just like, just try to do things that you're that again this idea of like fighting against the system mm -hmm. and making sure that in your everyday life if there are little things that you can do to make sure that the system doesn't exist mm -hmm. um and and whatever that may look like to you or feel best for you um because it i mean none of us are really free in this world yeah. there is no free world but if there's a way that we can start to chip away at it in this so-called free world then i mean it's it's all on us right yeah, yeah. And definitely check out, again, shouting out Dr. Griffin. She teaches an amazing class called uh, Race and Mass Incarceration mm -hmm. that really just specifically talks about this and oh, like how mass incarceration is disproportionately affecting black and brown individuals. So 
if you have the opportunity, definitely think about adding that to your course list yeah. if you want to get more uh, educated and like are really looking for more material. Yeah. Um, and as a criminologist, if you ever want to come by and chat, come visit us at the OML office, 832 Market Street, yes. right behind Swig. Yeah. <laughs> In a house, come by and chill. But I think that's it for us for this week, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, definitely. Also, this is um, for the folks who went to our difficult dialogue mm-hmm. on Thursday on 400 Years of Slavery, where we watched Roots. This is the kind of our- We're recording this the morning before, but it's by the, the time. Future. Yeah, by the time y'all hear it, it's going to be afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a great uh, companion piece to that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I just want to mention before we like kind of sign off that we have a suggestion form that is up and running as of now. So if you guys want to hear anything um, or hear us talk about anything specific, go ahead and drop us like a little suggestion. Just fill out the form. Let us know if you want us to change anything or start doing anything. And um, we most likely will implement it. And if you have ideas for topics or people that can be We're booked for like the next two years. We'll work them in. We'll work them in. We'll put you on the way. Yeah, for real. Okay. Well, cool. Is that it, guys? Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks.